Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us, or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton here with you now, team. Thank you so much for hanging out. Hope you're having a good Friday. If you happen to be uh, in the path of what seems to be a major storm, a major disaster, this uh, hurricane uh, Harvey, uh, please be safe, stay safe, and, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers. God bless. Hope everything is okay. Um, I will be checking in throughout the show to see what the updates are. But from what I'm seeing here, it, it is a it is a major storm. Winds of up to 125 miles per hour, over 30 inches of rain expected in some parts of Texas. So, uh, and there will be a, inevitably, we know this, there'll be a politicization of this. Uh, people will be saying that it's uh, this is caused by climate change. There'll be an, an urgency, a renewed urgency in the climate change movement to say that because we've had a big storm, now we have to take major action to prevent the next big storm. And, and then some folks will go on Google or they'll go to their local library or whatever it is that they do their research. And sure enough, they will find that there have been Tremendous storms for as long as there has been an atmosphere, an ecosystem for us to live in, and a weather system. Storms are nothing new. Storms can be tragic. Storms can be incredibly powerful. They can be brutal. Mother Nature can be unforgiving. But it's not new. And that there will be so many people who are out there saying it is, um, we know, well, we can expect that it's already started to happen. Is there a why to this? Why there is so much water associated with this storm? One of the things we've heard from scientists over the last 10 years is that climate change does impact the intensity of many of the storms that we see. Uh, I'm not, uh, I probably wouldn't attribute what we're looking at here. This is not an uncommon occurrence uh, to see uh, storms grow and intensify rapidly in the western Gulf of Mexico. That is, as long as we've been tracking them, that has occurred. Uh, The why for the big rain is the stationarity, the fact that the storm is going to come inland and not move. CNN host is like, hey, could this be because of climate change? And whomever that expert guest was, they had, I was like, actually, no, not really. I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you. I was like, oh. Look at this. They're not all, not all. I, I believe that was a scientist. Not all of them are going to jump on the, yeah, the former director of the National Hurricane Center. They're not all just going to jump on the climate change bandwagon and decide that, you know, this is this is now when we have to push for action. You know, we are the climate change change we have been waiting for or whatever. Um, 
And there are some other ways that this will be politicized, too, that a major storm uh, making landfall in the United States, which is not new. And, uh, of course, Hurricane Katrina was considered one of the real failings of the Bush administration. I think after the Iraq War, the left was more uh, upset and more uh, full of anger at the Bush administration over Hurricane Katrina than anything else. Now, the response to it uh, is a discussion that certainly should be had. Should it have been faster? Should it have been better? But, I mean, Bush Bush didn't cause the hurricane, just like Trump isn't causing the hurricane. But there are people out there that will be unable to help themselves. They'll be unable to step away from politics long enough to say, look, we hope our fellow Americans, everyone who's in the path of this hurricane is safe and is okay, and that any recovery efforts that are needed are quick and efficacious. Uh, But then again, there's CNN's Jim Acosta, who's really making a name for himself as hashtag resistance leader these days. Um, he, he had some words about not just the hurricane, but Trump. He's comparing or, or, or rather compiling the two issues. So I won't be tweeting about uh, fake news as much as uh, many Americans will be relying on the news in order to stay safe during this storm. This is all part of the complete politicization of everything in, in our life now, the, the, which it, I will say it is new and it's been getting worse. It wasn't even the case to the same extent 10 years ago. There's no escape from from the political expectations that the left has. it, And I should note that this is for, for a statist mindset, for people who truly believe that the state, and therefore government, is the answer to all things, should be in control of all things, and has an influence and a say in all things. Really, the state is... In place of God, the state is rep- the state is a replacement entity for a deity here, right? So the government becomes God. That's a that, that is a mentality. It, it's in fact what you see happening in truly totalitarian regimes throughout history and still to this day. Right? People, in a sense, are forced to worship the government, and there's one of the, there's a reason why there's this tension that has been playing out for many centuries. It's a bigger issue than I have time to address in specifics here, uh, between government and religion and between religious authority and government state authority, right? So people that believe that the government is the answer to everything or should be involved in everything don't understand this mindset of, well, maybe something should be outside the reach of government. Maybe we can talk about sports and not have it be something that is automatically broken down into left and right, Democrat, Republican, conservative, progressive. You know, maybe we can just all enjoy sports. Uh, maybe we can look at a, a storm coming to the United States and instead of instantly uh, going from going to one side of the issue or another on climate change, on the environment, on government spending to, to deal with, with these things, I mean, it, it just the focus you would think could be on the immediate issue of helping people and the not just sympathy which is important but the sympathetic efforts of people who are close enough to or in a position to help whether by sending donations or actually showing up and providing aid that will still happen but that won't be quite the same focus of the narrative there will be efforts to make this about uh, climate change there will be people who say outrageous things with regard to the Trump administration's responsibility in some way for this. 
Um, there will be people that just see this as an opportunity to grandstand, and, and they'll be doing it. They'll be doing it without any uh, without any sense of shame. And ultimately, this is, I think, just another example of what's been happening, which is that with media is now everywhere, meaning that you carry media in your pocket. You carry uh, news with you everywhere you go. Your Even your social connections now, in a way that was not possible 10 or 20 years ago, are largely um, touched by or even molded by, deeply influenced by politics, right? Whether you're on Facebook or any of these other platforms or anywhere else that you're interacting online, there is a push from one side or the other to portray events in a certain way. Your friends are writing about what they think about Trump. Your friends are writing about what they think about climate change. You know, there's no escape from this now. And we would have to make a conscious decision as a country, as a society, to say, you know what? Why don't we why don't we declare, dare I say, some actual safe spaces? Where it's not that you can't be exposed to bad ideas, and I know that there's no, there's really no such thing as safe space. But it would be nice if we could come up with some some parts of culture or society where it was more about people being able to escape and relax and chill instead of just having to be in the middle of the political scrum. Maybe I'm just dreaming. Maybe maybe that's what the Freedom Hut is for me, right? That's even though I do a lot of politics here. At least it's a place where I can escape to for a while and, and not be influenced by all the other blah, blah, blah that's out there. Um, and here we are. major. The biggest news story, it's late late August, and it's a huge hurricane hitting the United States, and people are trying to make this about Democrat or Republican. Uh, there are stories from the week about sports and how they've been politicized, about words and how they've been politicized. Now, there's, I can find political angles for... For food, for restaurants. I mean, this is now, everything is getting filtered through this lens. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Uh, but if you abandon to, if you abandon your side of it, if, if we abandon small government, limited government, conservatism, and liberal, true liberalism in the sense of classical liberalism, uh, and just say, you know what, we won't engage in the fight for culture, the fight over culture anymore, that just means you're conceding it to the other side. And now the people that want to dictate everything are in charge of what gets dictated, right? So it's not even just this is now an area for political dispute. It's they get to make the decisions for you in those areas now, whether it's climate, sports, words, media, everything, everything. It does feel a bit uh, like a bit much. And speaking of escape, it's Friday, which means that we can throw in some action movie quotes if we'd like to. Action. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Movie. Come to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Quote free your mind. Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. Just give you a sense of what's coming your way this, uh, this show. Other than action movie quotes, if you feel like calling in to talk about that or anything else. Uh, we will discuss the latest uh, leftist violence and... Destruction of monuments, that'll be a big uh, topic for this issue because there's more of this. An article in the Huffington Post that you will have to hear to, well, actually, I'm sure you can believe it because well, just just wait. You'll see what they're saying now about military service over at the Huffington Post, or at least one, ed- one editorial writer, but they published it. Uh, and then we've got a lot more, including the Republicans. They're, they're already, they're getting ready to tell you. Remember what I said yesterday about how 
I know where this is all going. They're going to cave. They're not going to build a wall. And they're going to tell you that the next fight is when the real fight's going to happen. They're, they're preparing for this already in the Congress. I, I can already see. They're like, well, I mean, let's not get We're going to get a little tax reform. And it's not going to be tax reform for you. You're not going to get to keep more of your money. There's going to be some corporate tax reform that no one who doesn't have an army of lawyers for their corporation probably is going to even know what the heck is going on. But there'll be some corporate tax reform and Democrats won't really care because they like big business, too, and they need donations. And But nothing, nothing to get too excited about. I, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm, I'm betting against the home team here. And I don't like to be a pessimist. And I certainly don't like to show up here and just be angry radio man. There's so many angry radio men out there and women. Most a lot of dudes though, uh, just just being angry on the radio all day. I'm not trying to be angry about. It. I'm, I'm not angry. I'm just seeing what's coming and want to prepare us all for it because I'm telling you, uh, I've I've been to this dance before. I'm, I'm I have tasted the food at this barbecue. I have, you know, you get what I'm saying. This is going to be exactly what we can expect it to be, which is Republicans raise the debt limit. Do not get funding for a wall. Say they will next time. And the next time, they're just going to say, well, we can't do it now because, you know, midterms. And you're going to say, wait a second. How how am I? So now it's the midterms. When do we ever get to fight? When do we ever get to stand up and expect Republicans to go to the matter and issue? Under the current rules of, uh, I don't know, rules of expectation, rules of political discourse in this country? The answer is never. It's never going to happen. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. Do you think I'm wrong, by the way? I'd be very curious to know if you, th- if you think that they're, are they going to, remember, this is not a Trump thing. This is a Congress thing, right? This is not, do I think Trump is going to sell it? I believe a Trump would sign a bill to do the wall tomorrow if he could. Trump would, I, I, I believe that he's, he's trying to get the wall done. Mitch McConnell's going to, you know, Mitch McConnell, not going to let it happen because there's other things, other priorities. The people that write checks for re-election campaigns of senators, the, the the PACs and such that are out there, their policies matter to the people in charge in D.C. But this, all the populism that they talk about or the pop, forget populism, the popular issues that are out there, they don't care. They don't care because they're so good at conning people. They're so good at convincing their own district or their own. Well, you know, whatever, their own hometown, their own home state. Oh, I'm one of the good guys. It's those other people, other Republicans that refuse to actually stand on principle. So they just, so that means everyone gets away all the time. There's always going to be a Murkowski or a Collins or a, you know, you name it out there who gives Republicans the excuse for why they can't get it done. And Murkowski and the Collins, they're always going to point at, you know, the Ted Cruz's and say, well, that's the reason we can't get anything done. I mean, this is just... Just a big merry-go-round. We get it, right? We're just going in circles here. Doesn't mean it's not interesting to talk about from a policy perspective, certainly. But I want to get into the leftist violence, the uh, destruction of monuments, and the fight over words. That's what's really got me fired up today still. There's more of it. That this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. So that's a a Ghostbusters quote that he put on for Action Movie Quote Friday. Um, But I see a lot of lines are lit up up here uh, for Action Movie Quote Friday and for other things. Is Ghostbusters an action movie? That's an interesting interesting 
question. I think it's really more sci-fi, but it's all right. Fair enough. Uh, let's go with Dendal in Hawaii. Dendal, great to have you, sir. Hey, hey, Buck, it's Dendo, D-E-N-D-O, but that's right. Oh, Dendo. Anyway, Thank you, sir. Yeah. Sorry. And I had to look this movie up, and I kind of picked one out just because it kind of popped in my mind. And you, you may not know it because I think I'm a little bit older than you, but here it goes. You ready? Yeah, sure. All right. It's professional assassination is the highest form of public service. Wow, I've never heard of that in my life. What, what movie is that from? <laughs> Remo Williams. What is that? I haven't even heard of that movie. I don't know. This is an action movie? Absolutely. Look it up. It's pretty good. Anyway, it's kind of a old one. It's like in the 80s. Huh. All right. And what else? Is, so, so you got me there. I'd never even heard of it. What else is on your mind? Anyway, I was thinking, you know, obviously that the thing that happened in Charlottesville, I think is upsetting everybody. But I, and I guess more so because of how inflammatory, you know, the rhetoric has become. And I, you hear, you know, honestly, like how they talk about, uh, what is that uh, white privilege and stuff? And it's like, and all of a sudden you can't say anything. And to, to those people, I mean, I never maybe had those experiences, so I don't understand, but I, I would just have three questions for him, you know? And the three, three questions would be, well, what is it that you're trying to get, you know, out of pushing that type of agenda? Do you mean the, and, the, white, the white nationalists in Charlottesville you're talking about? No, I'm talking about a black person that would be espousing, you know, uh, white privilege. And oh, white, I'm sorry. That, that, okay, I, I was confused here. So you're saying, why would some, because what does that have to do with Charlottesville? Well, I, because it just, it just continues to, um, uh, you know, uh, continue the narrative, you know, about, because then on top of that, I heard this one girl that was complaining about a statue that was on her college campus and how, black master is looking down on her and so to speak and it was just like my, my point is is that i don't know, know. Uh, you're gonna have to get to a point here uh, dendo and then we got to go to the next call go ahead yeah is this three questions no, no just dude, how about one question because three is already I, I don't know what we're talking about here one question what's your what's your question well no my questions would be to those people that have those sentiments you know uh, the african-american community that have those sentiments about white privilege? Yeah. Because that but that's not just the African American community that feels that way. That's all that's the Democratic Party and the left. I mean this is much bigger than just the African American community and, right. and only some parts of it, but that, that feels that way. I guess it's the African community African American community that's being motivated by that type of rhetoric. You know what I mean? And no, I'm trying to say it's well, it's way beyond just the African American community. Though I'm trying to trying to give you a, a broader perspective on this. It's not white privilege. Is you'll you'll get lectures on white privilege from uh, you know white PhD students who live in Brooklyn. It has nothing to do with necessarily being be, being black or a black. All right, Dendo, I didn't have time for the the full three questions here, but I don't know. I kind of lost what our, the gentleman there from Hawaii was trying to get at, but I tried. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Bill Pullman, Independence Day, when he's playing the president, giving a speech. Yeah, that's right. Hit the, hit the, hit the bell. 
That's right. They're trying to fool me here in the Freedom Hut. You got to trust me. I swear they don't give this to me beforehand. Um, but Ty's, uh, Ty and Amy, can they, they can probably up the level of difficulty. Like I said, this is like the... The taxi cab version Jeopardy. I want the real. I want the real Jeopardy. You know, the taxi version of Jeopardy. Everyone's like, I'm so smart. I could win Jeopardy. It's like, no, this is like Jeopardy for the masses. This is action movie quotes to the masses. I need you to get, you know, I need you to get into some. I, I want like B level Dolph Lundgren movies thrown in here. You know, I think yeah, yeah. I, I want quotes from like Showdown and Little Tokyo stuff like that in here. I don't want this stuff that everyone's gonna. Automatic. Some of you are like, "What is that movie? Not worth, not worth your time." <laughs> I can tell you that. Not. There another, I think there's. Another, I think it's Dolph Lundgren. I come in. I come in peace, which was like an alien movie. You know. Yeah. Terrible, terrible movie. Um, I've. That's the other thing. There's a lot of really bad. It, it was like horror movies in the '80s too. There was the Friday the Thirteenth franchise and. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and these very well-known ones, but there were so many knockoffs and ripoffs and terrible ones out there. And it's true of action movies too. I mean, all you need in an action movie is a guy with a fondness for uh, anabolic steroids and carrying around fake a fake M16 and like shooting it from the hip and being like, "I will kill all the bad guys," and you can make a bad '80s action movie. Uh, so there's that. Um, all right, every line is lit, and I know I'm talking a lot here. And I, it's Friday, so I want to take your calls. But before I get to calls, important announcement. I don't know how important it is. I think it's kind of cool. If you go to bucksexon.com slash store, mugs are now available, my friends. Mugs. Uh, Team Buck Mugs. You can get yours at bucksexon.com slash store. It is in black and yellow. It is f- it is very uh, fashionable. You can drink all. Of, you can drink your Black Rifle coffee out of your Team Buck mug now. What's up? That's the way to do it. All right, Mark in Florida. Oh, BuckSaxon.com slash store to check out to get a mug. Mark in Florida on WFLF. What's going on, sir? Hey, Buck. Good afternoon. How are you? Aloha. Aloha. All right. Now, uh, I just I was just listening to your last caller. Uh, um, Dado, I believe his name was from the beautiful island of Hawaii. I'm jealous. He's calling in from Hawaii. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Could you please surmise uh, your discussion in like five seconds to refresh my memory? Not really. No, I, that was part of the problem. I don't. I got confused about who he was, he was talking about. Uh, African Americans and white privilege, and I kept saying to him, "But white privilege is really a construct of leftist Democrats exactly. to leverage the black experience in America for progressive power on the Democratic Party." The white privilege phrase is not like, oh, the black community feels this way about white people. The white privilege phrase is a construct of the progressive left that leverages the black experience for political power. Very cool. Yes. Thank you. But why I'm calling, and I lost that feed as soon as I called in, I couldn't hear your your thing, but uh, I I, I lived in, I was privileged to live in Oahu for a while, and those uh, Native Hawaiians are the most beautiful, uh, most beautiful people I've ever met. Aloha is a is a is a huge is a okay. huge thing. And uh, ever when he called in, Dado, I think his name is. Why are we talking Dado. about this still, Mark? I need to know what you want to talk about. Because I think he was right, and you completely misread what he was saying. That's how can why. you how can you think he was right when you need me to recount the conversation because you missed it? Because I. Well, I'm just, am I wrong? 
I, think I, I don't know. I mean, you think I'm wrong, but you don't. How could you be I, right if you don't know if you're wrong? Well, from what I heard before I called in, you were completely, in my opinion, you were completely misreading it. And okay, okay but you have to tell me how, I, Mark. You have to tell me how I was misreading it. Work with well, me here, buddy. What, how how was I misreading it? Yes, sir. As any population has ever experienced racism, the Hawaiian people have suffered the worst of it in our in our country in our United States. Wait, the Hawaiian Having, people have suffered the worst? Yes, sir. Um, well, you think Hawaiians have? Hawaiians weren't. I mean, this is kind of a strange. I wasn't expecting to go in this direction. I mean, you have the you have the Native Americans who were exterminated, and you have blacks who were enslaved. You're telling me Hawaiians had it the worst? I, I look. I, I'm not an expert in the history of Hawaii. First one to put that out there, but I'm not aware of what, what's so bad about what happened in Hawaii. Well. Uh, and you always talk about reading books, and I read your books that you recommend to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now he's gone. This is crazy. What is what is it? What is happening here? Are you guys? He he drops. He he drops the bomb of we're not. Uh, he drops the bomb of like Hawaii people in Hawaii are the most depressed, and then I'm like, well, explain how that with Native Americans and uh, African Americans, Black America. And, uh, and he just goes. I don't, all right. Um, let's get Al in Missouri on the action here. He's uh, calling in. Let's go, Al. What's up? Hey, man. How are you? I'm Thanks. all right, Al. What's going on? I'm a pipeliner, and I travel all over the United States. And Trump has helped us so much. But what I want to talk about is the Pakistanian that had all the uh, blackberries and the computer smashed. The Pakistani IT guy, you mean? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What if that was all Hillary's crap? Uh, well, I mean, you say what if? I mean, that would certainly be interesting, but I don't see. I haven't seen any information so far that that's true. So it'd be an interesting theory, but you know, this is uh, this seems to be uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz being incompetent from what I've seen so far and possibly exposing congressional information and congressional servers to some very uh, unethical people with interesting, if not troubling, foreign connections. But I don't know there's more we can say about it than that, right? I mean, it seems to me that, that you have this I, this family, uh, it's a family affair, right? You've got this family of uh, people from Pakistan. I, I, I'm not sure if they were I think they're Pakistani citizens. I may I may be off on that one, um, right. but they they're running IT for Debbie Wasserman Schultz up on the hill, so they have access to all of her stuff. And as everyone knows, like you you need to always keep the IT people on your good side because they've got it. They've got everything and they've got access to everything. Uh, but you know, I, I haven't seen much other than looks like they defrauded the government. And Debbie Wasserman Schultz was kind of asleep at the wheel on what was going on. Right? I mean. What's the what's the worst what's the worst case scenario that's based in facts we've already seen? Al, I, I asked that question because I really don't know other than well, what I've said. He might have all that information if it was Hillary stuff, because there was blackberries and everything there, no SIM card. They were all smashed. I mean, carrying trying to carry that back. What did his wife take back over with her? I think they were just they were just uh, bilking the government. I think they were just. Uh, you know, running scams with no-show jobs and getting paid all this money, and I, I, I don't see. I mean, I, I, you think there might have been an espionage angle to it? Is that what you're saying? There was some like state I'm secrets. They, they had so much information. What if they got 
into the DMC. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is all on uh, on you know not these are all on open not not open, but these are on just normal email email servers from what I understand, right? I, I don't think there's any. I don't think these are on secure servers. I don't know. Look, I don't know the how the house IT system. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I've been listening to you, but how do we really know the truth? <laughs> I don't know, man. I get people these days that write me emails. They're like, why do you believe that story? You weren't there. And I'm like, well, if that's the new standard for whether I can believe a story or not, I guess I can't really believe much of anything. So, that, No, neither can we. All I believe is what you tell me. Hey, man. Well, you're, you're coming to a good place because I at least I at least try to shoot straight here and, and be honest with you. And, and I actually do all my own research. So Shields High, Al. I appreciate you calling. I promise I'll stay on that Debbie Wasserman uh, Schultz situation um we have bob in mississippi on wbuv hey bob hey uh buck great show thank you sir you know we've been staring at this in the face for years and years called socialism stupid or socialist stupidity they 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 well there's a term for it too you what do you you mean useful idiots people that like uh that, that, that do the work of communism and socialism without intending to Oh, no, no, no. They know what they're doing. Oh. The point is, is that they're willing to look stupid or act stupid just to keep from acknowledging that the right point of view is not theirs. They would just say, oh, really? Oh, no. Or just ignore it completely. And everybody does that, but they do it to an art form. So you're you're just saying that this is... People want to, they want to believe what they want to believe? Well, they can see a riot before their eyes and call it... Um, yeah, they call it protest, I know. The, 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 the term rioter is so rarely used by the media. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. Yeah, you know, usually when there's tear gas and stuff getting broken and cops getting attacked, you know, the, the, the R word, riot, tends to get... I, I think it's applicable, at least, but they, they, they don't apply it. They don't use it. So, Citing riot is a is a law on the books that should be enforced, and obviously, yeah, no, they don't they don't enforce that one. Uh, I want to get into some of the leftist violence that's been going on, actually. So, you know, that's a good transition, Bob Shields. Hi, man. Thank you for calling in. On the random time, Summers, that uh, Mr. Ahmed Fali is here. No, Mr. Axel Fali. Axel. Ahmed, Ahwell, Axel. Fali is here to see her. These are all the quints. That is Bronson Pinchot in Beverly Hills Cop 1, one of the greatest movies of the 80s. And and he was a standout star. They had him come back to just reprise that role in that and the second one and the third one. And Mr. Pinchot, who I think later on was like kind of a had a rough time on some reality TV stuff. Uh, but he was Belky from Perfect Strangers. I know. Please, man. I was all about the TG... Thank you, thank you. TGIF, uh, that that show, like those four shows, four comedies, every Friday, man. I'd sit there, my parents would let me order in pizza, I would play Sid Meier's Civilization on my computer and watch TGIF. It was like the greatest period of my life, really was, you know. When my brother wasn't around to like beat me up, I would just just sit there and, and eat and eat like takeout food and watch TGIF and play civil because civilization you can kind of play and watch TV and play and watch TV at the same time greatest video game of all time by the way uh, so with that said now I want to talk to you about uh, uh, this discussion will go into some detail here Nazi punching this is getting normalized by the left 
that you can go out there and punch Nazis. Here, here's the problem with it. There, there's, a, there's a few problems with it, but the two biggest problems. Because I know you hear this and you start to think, yeah, I mean, there's a whole movie about uh, just just doing violence to Nazis as kind of a revenge fantasy. What's the the, the um, Quentin Tarantino movie? I can't remember what it's called. Oh, Inglorious Bastards. Thank you. I haven't seen, I've seen scenes from it, but I've never seen the whole thing. Uh, but there's a whole movie about, you know, yeah, the not, and the Nazis are the bad guys who are the basis. Well, first of all, they're the basis in the Indiana Jones movies. They're the basis for the empire in Star Wars. I mean, Nazis are the worst bad guys in all of history. That's, that's pretty much the, the consensus, I think. Even though Stalin and the Communist Party under Stalin, and you know, there's there's an interesting discussion to be had there about you know how close second place is to first place with the worst ever. But and, and then some people are probably screaming about Pol Pot, and you know, there's 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 no shortage of vile, evil people in history, to be sure, or vile and evil movements. But uh, I want to talk a bit about Nazi punching because the problems with it are one, and this is what is the, the most immediate one is who's a Nazi who counts as there is I mean there there really there isn't in the way there wasn't in, in Germany at least there's not a an open Nazi party in this country so when someone's saying they're going to punch someone because they're a Nazi what is who's the Nazi and you might say well Buck white nationalists white supremacists they're Nazis okay well people are saying that Thomas Jefferson statues have to come down because it's a symbol of white supremacy Someone just decapitated earlier today a statue of a colonel from the Revolutionary War, Colonel William Crawford in Ohio, decapitated this statue, thousands and thousands of dollars of damage to a revol- to somebody from the revol- not even the Civil War, Revolutionary War. Uh, a blatant act of vandalism that the Taliban would be proud of. It's one of the one of the uh, parts of of history in Afghanistan. I know I'm jumping around here, but I hope you listen to the show because we talk about interesting things, and I try to give you as much interesting information as I can. Uh, if you have a moment, go look up the the, the Buddhas of Bamiyan, Bamiyan province in central Afghanistan. There were Buddhas there that were thousands of years old, enormous stone Buddhas carved in the the side of a cliff, and the Taliban just cuz decided to uh, blow them up destroy just destroy them to destroy them they'd been there pre-islamic by a whole lot doesn't matter destroy them and they did and it was it was actually one of the few moments before 9-11 where the world was pretty universally outraged at least the people that read the international section of newspapers about the taliban because it was just such an egregious and worthless and and dumb destruction of a tremendous historical artifact right that's just history I mean, thousands of year thousand multi-thousand year old buddhas getting destroyed is not something that any person of any sanity whatsoever would want to see but the buddhas of bamiyan were destroyed by the taliban and uh this destruction of this statue of this revolutionary, uh, I'm sorry, I said thousands. I mean, they're, they're 1,500, they're 1,500 years old, okay? Sorry, I said thousands, one and a half thousand. Um, but that's old, 
right? To to destroy to destroy these Buddhas, and they're incredible. I mean, you look at the photos of them. Um, was just an act of an act of malice against the world by the Taliban, and I think that that's what you're seeing now with this Antifa movement and this pull it all down mentality in this country, destroy all the because it's it's Columbus, it's revolutionary heroes, it's the founding fathers, it's. It, that's all now also going under the banner on the left of white supremacy. These are all monuments. Columbus, the Revolutionary War heroes, the Founding Fathers, Thomas Jefferson. It's all white supremacy. Remember we played that clip for you yesterday. You had that activist saying that that this is all about destroying white supremacy. Well, if white supremacy is the defining characteristic also of what we would consider to be neo-Nazis, and if the left is saying that you can punch neo-Nazis or Nazis. Can't you see how quickly all of a sudden anyone that the left doesn't like is now a Nazi worthy of being punched because they're part of this white supremacy culture, right? I know it's crazy, but you have to follow their reasoning and their arguments to understand where they're going. You're not dealing with reasonable or rational here. You're dealing with the progressive left. Progressive ideologies have been destroying countries and civilizations for a couple of hundred years now, at least in the modern context. So this is very serious stuff. We'll talk more about uh, leftist violence and Nazi punching and destroying statues in the next hour. So stay with me. A black Trump supporter is punched right in the face on video. In Laguna Beach earlier this week, a man in Colorado is stabbed in a parking lot outside of a steak and shake in Colorado because his haircut got him mistaken by his attacker for being a Nazi. A woman in California punches a an alt-right a protester in the face and before a judge says that it's not a crime and a member of Antifa thinks that somebody at another protest is not with them and punches a fellow Antifa person in the face really hard. These are all things that have just happened in like the last week or so. This is all violence on the left. I should also note that at Charlottesville you had Antifa punching journalists This is verified. This happened. You didn't hear much about that, did you? The only people to attack journalists in Charlottesville were Antifa protesters. That's it. Rioters. Antifa. None of the Nazis, none of the national socialist, you know, white power guys attack journalists. Doesn't mean that they're not disgraceful scum, but they didn't attack the journalists. The left attacked the journalists there. But did you even hear about that? No. Did you hear about the guy who was stabbed because of his haircut? In Colorado because he was, quote, a Nazi. Probably not. Did you hear about the black Trump supporter who was just punched right in the face? I mean, really could have done serious damage. People die from if you get punched in the face and you don't see it coming. You fall down and hit your head on the on the pavement on the subway and die. Just punch him right in the face. Why? Trump supporter. Uh, And then the Antifa. We actually have audio of the Antifa punching uh, Antifa. We uh, here, play it. You do not hit somebody that you assume is a neo-Nazi. You cannot do that. 
He's on our side. Do not do that. Well, what are you here for today? And what are you expecting? Are you going to stay around? I'm not exactly sure right now. Guy's whole cheek was, was split open. I mean, just punched him right in the face. These are at political events, everybody. These are supposed to be protesters. Why, why are... You'll notice how many Antifa people are getting attacked by by the right at at different protests. I, I'm I'm not seeing. I'm doing a, a a dive into all the news stories from this week on this, and nothing. But I can pull up plenty of these of these other incidents. I mean, this is what happened in in uh, in Colorado earlier this week. Um, Joshua Witt, 26, uh, escaped. His doom with a defensive slice to the hand and three stitches. Quote, apparently my haircut is considered a neo-Nazi statement. He was opening his car door when he heard, are you one of them neo-Nazis? As this dude is swinging a knife up over my car door at me. Do we? Um, so this guy gets stabbed because he has a haircut that's long on top, short on the sides. I should note that that's very common and popular these days, actually. This is a haircut. I mean, Macklemore, the musical group, had it for a while. Guys in that had it. I don't know who they are, really, but I've, I'm so I'm told. You know, they had it for a while. I mean, plenty of Brad Pitt had it for a little while. I mean, this is a hairstyle that some people uh, have. I mean, what I see very commonly now is very... Uh, I went to a wedding where, like, every... This is a couple months ago. Pretty much every guy there had very uh, close-cropped beard and shaved sides of the head and kind of long hair, longer hair on top that is combed back and to the side and kind of a side part. And they weren't neo-Nazis. They're just dudes that are trying to be fashionable. That's that's a fashion statement. These people, that's a... But this guy, for whatever reason, you know, because there are some... I think it's mostly because they've created this... Uh, this kind of celebrity of evil with this Richard Spencer guy, and because he has a haircut that's kind of like that, now that's considered, it's like you're walking around with it with like, you know, a, a sign that says neo-Nazi on them. But, you know, it's not a Hitler mustache, okay? It's it's not some big statement. It's, in fact, a common way of wearing your hair. And if you don't if you don't think that I'm, or if you think that I'm uh, exaggerating the problem or th- that this could happen, never mind that this guy's getting stabbed. And remember, he's getting stabbed. The guy's saying, are you one of those Nazis because of his hair? Uh, Samantha B, who is one of these unfunny female comedians who is just foisted on us by the by the the Democrat liberal media complex. Uh, she's up there with Amy Schumer, Samantha B. I mean, these they're just not funny. They're just not funny. They're not good at what they do. I wish they were because I love laughing. They're not funny. Kathy Griffin. These are people who are not funny, trying really hard. Uh, and they get a lot of play, you know, a lot of, uh, attention to the media but samantha b did this whole thing about uh i forget it i think it was actually at cpac was it at cpac or it was at some concern it was at some it wasn't cpac it was some conservative student event and she said uh she referred to somebody there as having a young man college aged, as having nazi hair and this was on tv and they they didn't they just showed the an image of the guy and said he has nazi hair Actually, he has brain cancer and was undergoing chemotherapy and had it shaved because that's part of having to deal with the uh, procedures and the processes of chemo. But Samantha B thought it was funny. Now, she says, oh, well, we didn't know. 
Yeah, but why are you going around calling people? Because she thought, here's what she thought. Conservative has his haircut. He's a Nazi. Let's call him a Nazi. And she wasn't all that apologetic either, I should know. It was kind of like, yeah, well, we didn't know. Sorry. Um, you can imagine how this would go and in, in, if there were some different factors at play. Um, but this is why I want to talk to you about Nazi punching, because they're creating this conception of standing up against fascism by any means necessary. In fact, that's the name of a group that a woman belonged to in California when she punched someone in the face at a protest. We'll get to her in a second and her defense of her conduct. But this whole movement right now, the the progressive left is uniting around this concept of standing up to fascism. Here's what you need to keep in mind. Here's what you need to know. In their view, fascism is not the Nazi party. They're not just standing up to fascists or Nazis at all. In their view, Trump is a fascist. In their view, the Republican Party that supports him and that he now leads is a party of fascism. Again, it's crazy, but that's what they think. They're wrong, but it doesn't matter because that's what they're that's how they're acting. They are acting as though that is correct. So we should be very aware of this that when they say Nazi punching they mean punching anybody with whom we disagree strongly enough. Because there aren't enough Nazis for anyone to really care about Nazis getting punched. There just aren't. And that's how you have these incidents now. Why, why would someone get stabbed because of their haircut with a guy thinking he's a Nazi? Because they've created a hysteria that there are Nazis all over the country now. So going back to the original premise, it's who are Nazis in the conception that the left has here it just means it, Nazi is becoming a stand-in for conservative. And they, they were doing this with alt-right as well, but that didn't have the... And I saw this coming right around the election. You know, alt-right is now is now all of conservatism. It's now all of the Republican Party and the alt-right and national social... But the alt-right doesn't sound scary enough. So they just went with fascism. And that's why they have this group, Antifa, standing up against fascism. Where does the fascism come from? Why is there a surge in fascism now? Is it just a coincidence that Donald Trump is the president and there are anti-fascist groups popping up? Of course not. They're saying the president is a fascist and the people who support him are fascists. They're Nazis. They are the moral equivalent of Nazis. And if you really believe that, if a person really believes that, what are they unwilling to do? Where do they draw the lines? Let me ask you this, your rational, reasonable, moral person. If you really thought that there was an actual Nazi party that was ascendant in this country, would you consider drastic action? Now, the difference is that I'm talking about actual Nazis. They're talking about people that believe in like lower taxation and limited government and constitutionalism, i.e. conservatives. They think they're Nazis. Never mind the fact that the left is the party of uh, industrial, industrialized abortion on demand. And I mean, we could talk about the similarities between with with, uh, in, you know, the infanticide, genocide, Nazi party, all that. But the point here is that they really believe that they're standing up against a Nazi menace. You can hear it in the way they talk about this. You have a woman out in California. I have the audio of it. Her name is uh, Yvette Filarka. She's 47 years old, and she was involved in an anti-fascist demonstration in California uh, back in June. 
an anti-fascist. Dem- Who are the fascists she thinks she's demonstrating against in June of 2016, everybody? Hmm. Hmm. Indra, all of a sudden, what was also happening then? Oh, yeah. So she's an anti, she's an anti-fascist in June of 2016, and she uh, reportedly, allegedly, is charged. With, oh no, actually, uh, I'm sorry. She's charged with felony assaults. I don't know. I don't think she was convicted yet. Charged with felony assault for punching somebody in the in the face. Um, she punched a member of the Traditionalist Worker Party, which is described here in the Huffington Post. I should note as a white nationalist group. Our, I. I, I have to now keep on looking at whether, because you have to be very careful with this. The people in Boston were not white nationalists, everybody, but they were kind of reported as being alt-right white. They were not. They were just free speech kids. Let's have a free speech rally. Yay, free speech. But because it came after Charlottesville, it seemed like, oh, there was some connection. We have to be very, the media, as you know, is dishonest. Very dishonest media. They are dishonest, though. They're going to be sneaky with this. You can't let them get away with just pinning the label of white nationalist on every group that's, you know, wants secure borders or wants a tougher line on Islamic extremism or because they'll do it. They'll do it. So I don't know anything about this group. And maybe they are. Maybe the Traditionalist Worker Party. And this one probably is a bunch of white nationalist jerks. But I'm just saying, be careful with this, because Boston was not white nationalists. It was a free speech rally, and 40,000 anti-fascists showed up. What fascism were they protesting? Back to California, though, and this woman. So she's at this rally, and she she uh, allegedly um, punches somebody in the face. And uh, she, so she said, and she said that she was attacking a neo-Nazi. And, and here's what she said publicly about, remember, she's charged with felony assault. Here's her defense. Play it. These charges are false against me. They should be dropped. I'm standing up against fascism and the rise of Nazism and fascism in this country is not a crime. We have a right to defend ourselves. We have a right to defend ourselves. Standing up against fascism is not a crime. So this woman's accused of of attacking someone. And she's calling it standing up against fascism. But the Huffington Post tweeted this out as, you know, woman claims, woman, you know, accused of assault claims standing up to fascism isn't a crime. Actually, the headline is, quote, teacher accused of punching neo-Nazi says standing up to fascism isn't a crime. And all the love that she was getting and the retweets that this got and people are like, yeah, yeah. Here's the other part about Nazi punching. Forget about not not Nazis getting punched, which is already happening. They're getting stabbed. They're getting punched. They're getting attacked in any number of ways. Non-Nazis, right? Just people that the left doesn't like. And then they'll say they were Nazis or they'll say they were, you know, friendly to Nazis or whatever. But here's the even more difficult part for them. Punching somebody because what they say is not okay, even if they are a Nazi. This is what the left does not get right now. This is what they're abandoning because free speech right now doesn't suit their suit their political purposes. So they're just they're just throwing free speech out entirely. If somebody stands on a street corner and says that they think that. You know, national socialism is is the wave of the future and, and it would be great and they want to start a national socialist party in America or if they just spew a bunch of vile invective about different races and races being inferior and everything, you know, you have the right to stand on the other street corner or, you know, stand across from them and say this person's a moron, this person's an idiot. 
But you don't have the right to walk up with a baseball bat and just open their skull up on the street right there. You don't. But you'll notice that the left kind of thinks you do. This is very dangerous. You have the expansion of the definition of a Nazi to include anyone the left or fascism as well. Really, it's more fascism, but Nazi too. A Nazi is anyone now that the left really, really, really doesn't like. And violence against Nazis is okay. This is an incredibly dangerous series of political transitions that are happening right now for all the reasons that I'm explaining to you. Um, And like I said, I'm not worried about Nazis because there really aren't any Nazis, very few. I'm worried about the Nazis the way I'm worried about the Westboro Baptist Church in this country. Disgusting idiots, but not about not about to run the country you know what i mean not not a not a problem within the culture in a meaningful sense um all right 844-900-BUCK i want to take your calls on this and whatever else you've got in mind we'll get to that and much more king kong ain't got on me uh that is denzel washington in training day for which he got an oscar and uh, I say I thought it was well. I think I think he's phenomenal. He carries that entire movie on his shoulders. Training Day, really good movie. Really moves very quickly. Very uh, tight screenplay. I thought Training Day was was excellent. Um, and I liked Ethan Hawke in it too. And usually I think Ethan Hawke's kind of you know meh, but uh, he was pretty solid. Uh, let's get to the lines because lines are lit. Uh, Jonathan in Nebraska. What's up, my friend? Oh, not much. Just uh, ready to get the weekend going. I hear you. So I wanted to call and ask you a history question. A history question? Okay, I'll see if I get. I mean, I'm you know, I am fallible on history, unfortunately. This is more of an uh, an opinion question. My dad threw this one at me, so I was curious to get your take. Uh, well, who would you say is the one person that's had the biggest impact on the world in the 20th and 21st century? Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tough question. Impact, so not necessarily good, right? It could be anything, right? Uh, I mean, now now you get into, do you want to go in the direction of the great, the great leaders, or do you want to go in the direction of the great monsters? I honestly don't, I honestly don't have an answer yet. I really have to think about it. Yeah, see, I didn't have an answer either, and he threw out a name at me. He threw out Gabriello Princep. Oh, yeah, the guy who, uh, the assassin from uh, Sarajevo who killed Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Right. And yeah, we well, that's really an incident, though, more than a person. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's, but I guess you could say those two are tied together. But, yeah, the Franz Ferdinand moment. Um, fascinating how that whole thing went down, by the way. You know, he was warned yeah. about it. Ferdinand was warned that there were, that he was going into a pretty hostile place. But he was like, yeah, we'll be all right. And then they missed the initial attempt to get him. And then they got him on when he went to go visit people who were wounded. They got lost on the way to the hospital. And in the second assassination tap, uh, attempt is when Prince just kind of stumbled upon him in an alleyway and right. shot him. Uh, yeah. Because the first time around, I think they threw a grenade and it rolled off and it, and it injured some people that were in the, the motorcade. But it didn't actually hit the Archduke. Uh, very interesting. And the guy was a member of the what was it, the the Black Hand? I think was the name of the of the group that he was a part of. It was a bunch of Serbian nationalists. I now I'm going off the cuff here, so I might be making some mistakes. But I think that all sounds about right. But yeah, that's an interesting yeah. point. And we just started talking about all the events that have uh, 
you know, the domino effect off of that uh, up until now. Well, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I know we're on a Friday and, and honestly, I think most of the country is bracing for what could be a really uh, horrific and damaging storm. And so our minds are, are on that uh, for, for the folks in Texas and elsewhere that are going to get hit by this. But um, so I, I hate to be adding on to uh, what's already a, a tense mood. But the reality is that if, if things had gone a little differently on that baseball field in Alexandria, I don't know. I don't know what this country would be going through right now, but it would be ugly. We are so lucky. We are so lucky that that shooter did not kill numerous members of Congress that day because he very easily could have. You know, if, if you did not have a security detail there and if you had somebody who uh, had, you know, if you had a shooter with greater a greater tactical proficiency, thank God those uh, Metro police were there and, and were able to take the shooter out. But we could have lost, what, five or six members of Congress that day? Easily think so and all and targeted for being being uh freedom caucus conservatives so uh we we narrowly i mean you're you're talking about a franz ferdinand moment i mean we narrowly missed that that would have really shook up this nation uh that you know in a way similar to when we've uh, look it would it would have been similar to i i assume the feeling the country has had in the past when we've lost uh, we've lost a president. I mean, that would have been a real blow. And that scary things happen after incidents like that. But, uh, Jonathan, I appreciate you calling in from uh, from Nebraska um, and with an interesting question. Uh, team, I see there's a lot of calls here. We'll get to some of those. And I'll talk to you about uh, this, if I can get to this HuffPost piece. Third hour, we're talking a little about pit bulls. There's a debate. It's starting up again. It's happened many times before. Are pit bulls dangerous or are they loving, wonderful pets? People who love dogs get fierce on that one. And I'll also talk to you about some words that are in the process of being banned. Uh, Word banning. That and more coming up. Stay with me. Uh, We've got calls. I want to take... Wait, we have a... a, We've got a lot of calls. Hold on a second. Um, Dr. Rick from Maryland. Listen on the iHeart app. What's up, Dr. Rick? Hey, Shields High. Um, Shields High. You know, I I tell you, yesterday you talked about seeing people on the left, uh, the ultra-left, as delusional, and I could not agree with you more. My concern is, is that right now, we, you know, the right is, is showing incredible restraint, and I worry when that, that small fringe minority on our side maybe the, has the restraint we're thin, you know? And that's why, I mean, the bulk of people are good people, if they weren't, we have a lot more news going on. But it's just that 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 those few people that can have such an impact. Well, this is it. Reminds me of our our uh, previous caller who who was bringing up the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. It was it was a uh, an assassination of a, you know of an aging Europe of, of a monarch in an aging European kingdom in a backwater of that kingdom that led to the First World War and millions and millions of people killed. Uh, you know, the the ramifications of even small groups of dedicated revolutionaries can be a great thing and can be an incredibly destructive thing. And you look back at history, whether you're talking about uh, the origins of the American Revolution, the Founding Fathers, or you're talking about the Russian Revolution and the rise of the Soviets, it's a dedicated few who get this stuff going. And that's what that's what oftentimes is the motivation for those who are clearly on the fringe 
but the fringe can sometimes run the show. Uh, you know that that's what's a little scary is that sometimes the fringe. And I don't think we're near that in this country. But then again, when you look at the dominance of memes and simple concepts in social media and the ability to inflate the message of a small group, if it has a compliant media with it, you know, if the, if the broader media goes along, un, unthinkable propaganda is possible here. You know, completely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's concerning. Absolutely. And, you know, perception trumps reality. One of my favorite books that I recommend to my patients is um, Freakonomics, the first volume by Levitt. And over and over again, he shows how it's our perception that impacts our behavior. I mean, you know, the perception that kids are being abducted left and right when actually far less are being abducted now than in decades earlier. And, and so this perception that is being presented and sold on the news because it sells and how that impacts behavior. Yeah, I, I think it's it's fascinating. You know, as somebody growing up in New York City, uh, I just have this natural habit of always, you know, like wa- watch your wallet on the subway with something people would say to you. And, you know, no one these days on the New York City subway, no one wants your wallet. <laughs> I mean, people have got other things on there. You know, it's just it's just not a problem. Yeah. I mean, but but you, we're, we're raised with this fear of, oh, gosh, you know, and, uh, and, and if you leave your door unlocked, it's you know, someone's going to break in. Well, when you really think about it, the chances of even if you left your door unlocked in a metropolitan area like New York City, someone would have to be like, oh, I'm going to go try out your door and figure out that it's unlocked in the first place. So a f- fear is uh, is a very powerful thing and and fear is based largely in perception so i and that's why by the way all this stuff doc about nazis and the rise of nazis there is no rise of nazis there is no rising fascism you've got a billionaire playboy essentially who is now the president of the united states who grew up in new york city who's got a you know a a multi-ethnic multi-confessional family and loves the media and playing golf he's not a fascist He's not a fascist, but I tell you, you know, because of who I see, I, I see people who are highly educated and, um, and basically because I'm fee for service, they believe this stuff. And that, to me, is the most disturbing, that people who are you know, very intelligent, who should know better, who should know to really do due diligence in looking at the news and not just getting it from a few sources, and they don't, and they are ignorant to a degree to, you know, to, to maintain you know, their ideology that is disturbing. Uh, absolutely, Doc. That's a that's a critical point. That smart, educated people think that the long, dark night of fascism is upon us. <laughs> that's what what's terrifying is that people believe that. Shields high, Doc. Thank you so much for calling in from Maryland. Uh, see, not all. I, I've told you guys before that the, the part of medicine most dominated by the left ideologically is actually psychotherapy and uh, psychiatry. But obviously not all. See, we got, we got a, a, a Doc who's sees things as they are, you know, it's not just sitting around listening to NPR, drinking soy milk, which is fake milk. It's, it's milk that's pretend, it doesn't even deserve, it's soy drink or soy juice. It really upsets me, you know what I mean? It makes me just, as a big milk drinker, I drink milk all the time. I drink whole milk all the time. People look, it's so bad for you. I'm like, who sold you on this 1% milk idea? Well, what kind of propaganda, what kind of commie propaganda is that? 1% milk? What, what is this? Is it against the 99%? It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. I get very, very aggravated with this. Alex, uh, in New York, listen on the iHeart app. What's up, man? Yes, what's up, Buck? Shields high, buddy. Thank you for calling. 
I got a movie for you. First. All right, let's see. Let's see what you got. You better like. You better know this one because I, I think you do. All right. Uh, the uh, the generator's gone. Is there any way we could fix it? It's gone. And then he says his name. I know you know this movie. I mean, that's but that's like a you know, that's almost like a will you be having wine with dinner quote. I mean, that's not really. If you got to give it, the generator is gone. Is it Jurassic Park? No, it's the thing. He's like, it's gone. Oh, I've actually, gone. I've never seen that. Is, is, wasn't that a remake? Haven't there been a few versions of no, that no, too? The original one with Jack, uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell. You got to see it. it is it good? With, right. your, with the movies you like, you'll love it. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll have to um, check it out. I mean, you know, Jack, uh, or Kurt, not Jack, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell um, you know, for me, it's between Tombstone and Big Trouble in Little China for his best. I mean, Tombstone's obviously a way better movie, but I'm so partial to Big Trouble in Little China. I also think you couldn't make Big Trouble in Little China today. I think you'd get in trouble for making that movie. Um, but anyway, anything else in your mind, Alex? Are we good? Um, well, okay. Uh, I'm going to bust your chops again. The guy from Hawaii had three questions to ask for anyone who would cry white privilege. He thought. That mostly that would be African Americans, but you corrected him on that. Uh, yeah, I, I and by the way, I've I've caught a lot of people who listen to the show know that I'm actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm actually uh, on Twitter and Facebook during the show and the breaks too. So just yeah, so no, you know, I, I, I've caught I've caught a fair amount of people wanted to hear. I, I apologize, people wanted to hear his three questions, and I got caught up and I didn't understand what he was trying to say in the beginning, and then I got a little. A little lost. Look, you know, it's it's live radio. It's not always, uh, it's not like this is all scripted out. So I, to the gentleman from Hawaii, I, I should have let you get your three questions out. Of it. And if you wanted to call back another day, another show, I would do that. But uh, I wasn't fo- I wasn't following what he was trying to say. And then he kept trying to repeat a point that I think he was a little off on. But I, I should have let him get his three questions. And, I, and the team has held me to account. I've gotten some heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of callers do that. They take too much time. Yeah. All right, Alex, shield time, man. Thank you, sir. Tom in Delaware. What's going on, Tom? Hey, Buck, how are you? I'm good. I uh, really enjoy your show. I uh, I love the history lessons, and uh, I just want to say I'm a construction manager from New York City, and um, I uh, I know a lot about New York City, and uh, when you talk about New York City, I enjoy that as oh, well. Oh, thank you, so, yeah. And the subways are uh, are a kick. I mean, uh, people get along with everybody on the subways. It's one of the great. It's one of the great marvels of of you know modern day life in America is that we're all jammed into these speeding metal tubes. Are so loud, and people are falling on top of each other, and they're getting stuck and whatever. And like, it, you know, there really is. Every time you step on a subway car in New York City, it's like that's your team for the next ten minutes. You know, you're all in it together. That's right. It is. It's your team. You got teammates. Yeah. On your way to work. Absolutely. Listen, I got a movie quote for you. Sure. Okay. Uh, Mr. Cheswick, what are you doing? I can drive the boat, Mac. I'm driving the boat. This is, this, come on, you got it. Is that it. Lethal Weapon? No. No, that was from that was from Ty. He tried to give me an assist. He verbalized it for me across the glass here. What is that? One flew over the cuckoo's nest. That's not an action movie. Well, come I, on, it's a movie. It's Tom, action. you're a great I'm man and a patriot, phone. but come on, that's not an action. <laughs> I haven't even seen that, and I know that's not an action movie. Hey, listen, this is I, not I, Nom. I really... There are rules, Tom. <laughs> well, I got you. Uh, 
listen, I really enjoy uh, uh, your history lessons, especially on the Islam uh, stuff, like the wars and the. Spain oh, thank you. I, I, I'm going to be doing a show, and I'm trying to think of uh, how to. I'm going to be doing a show on the siege of Malta. Uh, I don't know if it's a whole show. I think what I'll probably do is a couple of hours and break it up, and we'll see. I mean, we'll see if people like it, but A Siege of Malta is amazing. The fact they haven't made a movie or a miniseries about it just just is crazy to me. It's an incredibly important point in history. Christendom against the Islamic conquest, right in the middle of the Mediterranean, crazy battle, people chopping off heads and launching bodies with catapults at each other. I mean, it's bonkers stuff going on there, and I'm going to be doing that in just a couple of weeks, so I think we'll probably do two one-hour segments over the course of two days to coincide, by the way, with the end of the battle. Um, so I'm glad you like the history, man. Hopefully you'll... I, oh, we lost him. I was getting so excited that we lost him. But thanks for calling in, my friend. But yeah, I think we'll be doing, we'll be doing some of that. Um, I wanted to do... Uh, I've been wanting to do a Barbary Pirate show for a while. I think I'll probably do a show on... When I say a show, it'll probably end up being a segment or two. Uh, but on the white slave trade in the Mediterranean, which is uh, fascinating, and people don't ever talk about it, don't ever know about it. Um, so that's a, that's a subject that I want to... So the Barbary... I've been thinking about doing the Barbary Pirates for a while. Um, also, uh, Hannibal crossing the Alps, and I, I talked about Can I uh, on the show, I think, but maybe a little more of an expansion on that. Um, I've got a few. I've got a few that are... That are percolating. And of course, the Battle of Lepanto, uh, October 7th, 1571. So that'll be in October. Those of you who followed me from the uh, early Buck Saxon show days knows that, know that uh, Lepanto has a special place in my heart. Another incredible, one of the most amazing, most important naval battles in all history, really in, in the top five. I mean, it's in the same discussion as Midway, Actium. I mean, you know, it's w- one of the most important naval engagements in history. And people are like, La, la what? No idea. No idea. Fascinating stuff. So, yeah, if you keep listening to the show, I'll, I'll tell you more of those stories. People seem to like that. I, You know, occasionally I'll get a little bit of feedback. People are like, oh, it's too dry to do history. And I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not pretending to be the history channel. I don't show up and do three hours of history every day. But once in a while with a really – I try to also pick ones that still have – that have echoes and ramifications and correlations to today uh, and what's going on. And with some of these battles, you'll be like, hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. All right, all right. I, uh, you know what? I think well, I take one more call here. Mark in Pennsylvania, W A E B. Hey, Mark, what's up? We're not, Mark. I'm going once, going twice. Hey, buddy, what's up? You can hear me now. Yeah, we can. Uh, okay, sorry. Uh, so, I, liberal calling in from Pennsylvania. I thought I'd try to turn the subject away from these broad. I got a liberal calling in. It's very exciting, sir. Welcome to Freedom Hut. Yeah, and so I'd like to talk about an issue, right, that uh, is near and dear to the conservative side. So you guys believe that cutting taxes and cutting uh, government spending is a panacea for gov- for growth in the economy, right? I the economy am pan- panacea might be too strong, but it's certainly helpful, yeah. Okay, so we've had a, like, a little experiment in this in the past couple of years out in Kansas where Governor Brownback did exactly that, cut business taxes, 
to the bare bones. And You know what, Mark, Mark, I, I don't want to be the guy who cuts off the liberal because he's got to go into a break, but why don't you stay with us? I'll let you finish on the other side because we do have to go into a break, but we'll keep you, okay? We'll let you finish your question. Stay with us. Buck Sexton back with you now. Remember, bucksexton.com slash store. We got mugs and t-shirts and hats, all kinds of fun stuff there. Do check it out. Also, if you haven't already, please do subscribe to the podcast. It's on iTunes, Buck Sexton with America Now. We got Mark. Our friend, our liberal friend from Pennsylvania on WAEB. Mark, you were saying about taxes. We got about a minute and change. Go. Okay. So you heard what I was saying about Kansas, where Brownback actually cut dra- taxes drastically and then also cut government spending drastically. And to his own admission, or his goal was to have this huge economic boom. It never happened to the point where the Republican Congress and in or legislator in Kansas had to re- reverse everything he did. So please explain to me how that's not real, a real uh, indication of how well the conservative thoughts work. Okay, well, I mean, on, on, for one, when you're talking about what a state government is doing, you're automatically excluding from that all of the uh, market intrusions and and the social engineering that's going on via the federal tax code, which is doesn't matter what state you're in, right? You're still paying federal income tax, federal corporate tax. The federal tax code is a much bigger part of what's affecting the economy everywhere than what's going on on a state-by-state basis. Not to say that the states have no role in it, but the federal tax code is a much more potent force in business, right? I mean, what are you more worried about paying your state tax or your federal income tax? Uh, you don't need to answer that because we all know. Um, I so mean, you're, this was... you're, skirting, you're skirting the issue here. Brownback said what he was going to put in, in place was going to work, and it didn't work. So you're just trying to No, but I'm not I'm not trying to do anything. I I'll, I'll be honest with you Mark. I'm actually not familiar with I'm not really not familiar with the specifics of of Kansas and what Brownback did there. So I, I can't well, This is this is a good point where all your conservative listeners should actually look into this and see what happened in Kansas and and explain how this conservative thought actually works. All right, I'll, ma- I'll make you I'll make you a deal Mark. I will I will look into what Brownback did in Kansas. And we'll address it on the show, probably maybe next week, maybe next Friday, and uh, we'll have a we'll, we can repeat the conversation if you want to call in. All right. Uh, with that said, everybody, we've got to. T- so I, I will I'll tackle it next week, Mark. Thank you. Um, we have a couple of guests coming up here from the Hoover Institute and a comedian and more stuff. Welcome back, Team Buck. I'm often telling you that the left has killed comedy in this country, but it's not entirely true. Or at least comedy's not entirely dead. There's still folks out there who are making jokes. And in the current environment, I think it's a particularly interesting conversation about how you can be funny and illuminating and irreverent without running afoul too much of the PC police. We've got Tom Leopold on the line to talk to us about the comedy world. He is a comedy writer, novelist, and performer. He's written episodes of Seinfeld and Cheers. He's also worked with Chevy Chase and uh, Paul Schaefer and Miley Cyrus. He's a writer for ComedyWire.com, and he recently wrote Vice President's uh, Vice President Pence's Gridiron speech. So wait, you, yeah. Tom, hold. Let's start with that. You you write speeches for the Vice President. Well, um, boy, that, thank you for that bio. I wish I had a piece of myself. It sounds so successful. Um, yeah, I wrote the vice president's uh, gridiron speech this year. How did that happen? He killed. It, which is a phrase we use in show business. And so just before he went on with it, he turned to me and said, you know, I'm, I'll be all right. And I go, don't worry, Mr. Vice President, you'll kill. You know, and all the Secret Service guys around him, like Ken Stuck, you know, 
but you don't want to use those words. The word kill along with the unified. Yeah, no, I, I especially these days yeah. people are, are particularly uh, testy about all that. But tell me well, about. I was just so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a bit. So, so congrats on writing the the, the Veep's uh, speech. So being a conservative comedian today, what's that like? Because I'm always worried that, you know, y- you don't get the leeway that somebody on the other side does, which just makes it an unfair and un- uh, unlevel playing field. Well, I'm really a comedy writer, so the stuff that I write gets other people blacklisted. Oh, there you go. Yeah, they say it. Well, it's, um, it's, an, it's an interesting thing, speaking of the vice president's speech, because it was the most, as you can imagine, and maybe you've already done this sort of thing, but... To be asked to come down and fly around on Air Force Two with the vice president, why you pitching jokes to the gridiron thing? You know, it was like, I'm like Rob Petrie from the Dick Van Dyke show. I'm just so excited. And there's guys with grenades on their chests and talking to their sleeves. And, you know, I'm up in Air Force One. And, and uh, it's just something like, oh, God, I wish my father were alive to know I was doing this. And I would have done it even for a, a liberal president just because it's just such a patriotic, thrilling thing, you know. Um, but I was going to put it on Facebook and tell everybody because I was, you know, I'm not above that sort of thing. And then I was just thinking, like, they're just going to hate me even more because, I, you know, they, the people I know are all in show business are all pretty liberal. So I thought, oh, I can I, this time I won't brag, you know, as much as I enjoy it. I was really felt that I shouldn't put it on there because I just uh, Facebook is just such a, you know. All right, Tom. Well, look, man, I appreciate it. Congrats on writing the vice president's speech. Uh, I know you write for ComedyWire.com, so uh, yeah, thank you very much right. for, for that. And we appreciate you joining us today on the show. Thank you very much, Buck. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Take care. All right, team. So we were talking about uh, conservative comedy there for a second, and uh, we got we got some answers. I also want to talk about speech issues and speech on campus and how the left is increasingly embracing violence against speech that they do not like. Uh, we've got Josh Rao on the phone now. He's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute and a professor of finance at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. He also taught at University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Uh, great to have you on, Josh. Great to be here. Uh, so there is a movement afoot on campus, and you're somebody as a professor who understands the campus environment very well, to shut down speech that people, some people don't like, they come from a leftist perspective, with violence. Where do you see this coming from, and what are the best ways to combat it? Well, I think populism has been on the rise in America, in both political parties. And with that, there are a lot of strident opinions uh, in our politics, with little consideration of the facts. And much of that has spilled over to university campuses, uh, and a lot of it is coming from university campuses. And so we felt that there was no more important time than now to make sure that our young people are able to take an objective look uh, at today's issues and to analyze them and their policies being proposed using facts, data-driven research, and reason. And so that's why my colleagues, Scott Atlas and I, decided to develop this Hoover Institution Summer Policy Boot Camp. Tell us about the Summer Policy Boot Camp. It's August 20th and 26th. Uh, 20th through 26th, that's right. This is, so this is sort of, we're, we're getting towards the tail end of it here, and we confront students from around the country. These are uh, undergraduates from universities from around the country who come to Stanford University, the Hoover Institution, for a week, and we confront them with facts and expert research. You know, the, the program consists 
of uh, lectures and discussions that are led by the senior fellows of the Hoover Institution. And these are primarily Stanford University faculty who have joint appointments with the Hoover Institution. They are deep uh, experts in their disciplines, and also many of them have extensive policy experience in Washington with organizations like the Council of Economic Advisors. Um, And I think we felt that the Hoover Institution was uniquely poised, uh, as I say, to confront students with facts and expert research to allow them to be able to think critically for themselves about the issues. And and what are the issues we're looking at here at the boot camp? Well, it's really the the gamut of domestic and foreign policy. We're looking at fiscal policy, monetary policy, central banking, international relations, healthcare, education, national security. And we want students to think about these ideas critically and not fall back on preconceived ideas and assertions. Are there resources for students who could not make it that wish that they could have made it and or just for folks out there who want to get the the benefit of the summer policy boot camp to the best of their ability virtually online? Well, the Hoover Institution uh, runs a website called Policy Ed, and on this website, uh, one can get access to the research of the Hoover Institution senior fellows in a very, very accessible way. Um, our teams here have uh, they work with with uh, Hoover Institution senior fellows who are also Stanford University professors, and uh, what they're doing is 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 bringing this to the general public through videos, fun exercises. So I highly recommend the Hoover Institution's Policy Ed website. All right, Josh Rapp. Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Professor of Finance at Stanford School of Business, wants everyone to know about the Summer Policy Boot Camp that the Hoover Institution puts on. And go check out that website that he just mentioned. Josh, great to have you on the program, sir. Thank you so much for what you and Hoover do. Thanks very much, Buck. So, team, I wanted to talk to you a bit about, uh, you know, because we're talking so much about language and where all of the, where all the, the, you know, where this has been going in, in recent years days and weeks there's this guy you may recall uh there's this individual who is uh who got in a whole bunch of trouble a while back because he was he's a tennis announcer and he was talking about uh venus williams during a tennis match and he said um here's the he said that she was being very aggressive coming into net. I'm somebody who I will admit I actually really like and enjoy uh, and play a lot of tennis, or at least I play when I can. I know it's like I'm it's like I'm barely American anymore. Actually, Amer- tennis is a very American sport. It's just and it's become a, uh, I'd like to say tennis is a very cool sport now, very athletic. It's not just for you know people at country clubs or something. Obviously, tennis is all over the place now. It's a truly global sport. Yeah, go tennis. I love it. Okay, so but uh, but Venus Williams, who is one of the greatest female tennis players of all time, uh, Serena, of course, I think is her sister Serena is pretty much the undisputed uh, all time greatest female tennis player. Uh, so Venus was was playing aggressively, meaning going up to net a lot and being very active. And this announcer named Doug Adler, and this by the, this also brings ESPN into the situation. This announcer said that Venus's strategy was like using a gorilla effect. Now he meant gorilla warfare effect, like coming from all different angles at all different times, throwing everything at somebody, you know, keeping it unexpected, keeping them on their toes. He meant gorilla, spelt G U. E-R-R-I-L-L-A, which means little war. Uh, and it comes, for those who are curious, from the Sp- it became popularized during the Spanish Civil War. 
Uh, so that's when you first had people talking about the guerrilla war, which was a war of it's really insurgency. Uh, it's another it's a it's a fancy Spanish term for insurgency operations. Uh, so he said this, but but some listeners, because the words sound very similar, if not the same in pronunciation, thought of the word G-O-R-I-L-L-A. So he uh, apologized, but said that he didn't say anything wrong or or racist because he was referring to guerrilla war. Uh, But you pronounce it, the Americanization is guerrilla. That's what people say. I mean, there's maybe a slight difference between gorilla and guerrilla, but, you know, he, he but he was clearly this guy's an announcer he's on tv he's obviously not saying g-o-r-i-l-l-a he's is clearly not doing that he's not trying to throw away his livelihood his reputation the respect that he has of his peers and everything for, for what i should know right he knows it, it's not like he was caught on a hot mic he is announcing the game and he just said uh guerrilla effect uh, by the way, in reference to the style of play. So he wasn't referring to a person. He was referring to a style of play. Well, this should be no surprise coming from the Robert Lee sounds too much like the Civil War Confederate guy. So Robert Lee, the Asian-American sports announcer, should maybe not announce a game in Virginia. ESPN gave him the straight up boot. And now this guy's got a lawsuit going here. Um where you have Doug Adler saying that, look, he didn't do anything wrong. He's suing for wrongful termination. Uh, But this is one of these instances where ESPN is just saying, well, it's the public, it's public perception that matters. And we can't have a broadcaster who is considered, even if he's not actually racist or wasn't intending to be racist, if he is considered by some people as being racist or having been racist, it's too damaging, so we fire him. You know, this is, in a sense, I, I think, rewarding, first of all, corporate cowardice in the sense that ESPN is just so... I don't know who's calling the shots over there, but you really feel like it's the it's the faculty lounge at uh, Reed College or something that's making the decisions at, at ESPN now. That's up in... Oregon, for those who are wondering, very, very progressive place. Uh, you know, people think it's like the Wesleyan University women's and gender studies professors are running ESPN. I mean, that, that's what you start to feel like because there's such a sensitivity here, right? I mean, it, it is. It's out of it's out of control at ESPN. The the leftism. Uh, so you look at the situation. And you say to yourself, okay. What's a fair resolution to it? Yeah, yes, ESPN is claiming that it's just the, the, let the public decide. I mean, they're taking the, the you know the the defense of well, whatever whatever the perception is is what we have to go with. Uh, but but it's just once again here you have somebody who's being sacrificed to the political correctness gods, and it's just wrong, man. It just shouldn't happen this way. He clearly wasn't being racist, wasn't trying to be racist, had no racist intent. And how, you know, it's just like with criminal law. If you have no guilty mind, you are not guilty of the crime unless you're reckless. This wasn't reckless. He didn't have a guilty mind. And I just feel I feel bad for the guy. Uh, By the way, Dixie is also getting banned as a word. I'll tell you about that coming up. Stay with me. Oh, boy. Here we are. Another name. Another name about to enter the 
the realm of you can't use that name anymore. Buck Sexton back with you now. Uh, Dixie, D-I-X-I-E. You have a school that has suspended the use of uh, Dixie in its... This is at a school called uh, Lee High School. Uh, I wonder for which Lee. The Lee High School band had been playing Dixie until recently. Uh, They've gotten rid of using Dixie. But I'm also seeing now that it's not just the song Dixie, which became or was considered an an anthem of of the Confederacy... Uh, but now uh, even the, the term Dixie is going to fall into a category of you can't say that, you can't use that. Even though Americans refer to Dixie as just like as an offhand for the South, and it comes from, although there's some debate over the etymology here, I really feel like part of this show is just me talking about the origins of words because I do find that fascinating. Uh, but you get people that are forgetting that it comes from the Mason-Dixon line. That's why it's Dixie. That's why the South is Dixie. And here we are now being told that the Dixie song, that's out uh, because of the lyrics and it's it's racist and okay, fine. But even just the the term now, Dixie, is is about to become uh, unacceptable usage because of its uh, connections to. So, so, So let's just look at this. Dixie was an offhand reference to the South almost definitely based on the Mason-Dixon line. There's some other theories about how it was based on a slaveholder, last name D-I-X, uh, also the French n- note for 10. I mean, there's some, but, but Mason-Dixon line is one that makes the most sense. And so, but, it, but Dixie as a, cons- as a term existed before the song that became best uh, associated or most associated with it. The song was written in New York, by the way, by Daniel Decatur Emmett. Uh, and he was writing a song that was being performed for his employer, or that would be performed by his employer, Bryant's Minstrels, which was doing racist stuff. I, I get that. Uh, the performances were, uh, were racist, and, and that's a part of the discussion that should be had. Right? People should say, okay, well, that's, that, that's uh, way over the line what they were doing. But the name Dixie existed before the guy put it in the song. So Dixie was just a reference to the South. This guy uh, writes a song that that becomes called Dixie as, uh, you know, it it gets, I wish I was in Dixie's land and, you know, Daniel Emmett. I mean, it becomes this very popular song. And now we're being told that that's also on the list now. So nothing, I wonder what happens uh, to Dixie Cups Little plastic, little uh, paper or plastic cups that we all. You've, if you've been to a doctor's office in the last thirty years, you've probably, at some point or other, been exposed to Dixie cups. So I don't know. Do they have to now change their name? Um, I, I just wonder. I wonder where this will stop, because it is in fact a yeah, it's a major brand name for a product. Are they going to have to change their name? So getting rid of the song, fine. I understand people are offended by the lyrics, although a lot of Southerners I know say that, you know, that you can change the lyrics, but you shouldn't get rid of the tune. And I just, I'm a Northerner. I'm not about to get into all the intricacies of what from the Confederacy we can still uh, talk about or have as a part of culture in a way that's not condemned and what needs to just be blanket condemned. Uh, And I, I do have now all these recommendations for many of you 
to read Shelby Foote's books on the Civil War. So at least I've got some some light winter reading coming up because that's how long it'll probably take for me to get there. But I just see yet another name, yet another term that we are um, not going to be able to use without possibly drawing the ire of social justice warriors. And in this case, I just think it's it's unfair for a term to exist for and not be a racial term for someone to put it in a song and then for it to be used for a long time in offhand to refer to an area. People just refer to the South as Dixie. And it comes from the Mason-Dixon line. But now we're being told that because of its association with the song Dixie, which was a which was a racially charged racist song uh, that that you can't the song can't be played anywhere. The lyrics certainly can't be said anywhere. But even the name itself now is coming under coming under uh, scrutiny. You know, more, there'll be more of this, by the way, more of this. I, I wonder if you'll see I think you will see a drop in some places, at least in the country in the usage of the name Lee, which is very popular. Lee is one of the few names I know that both men and women have in this country. Uh, I know I know Lees who are guys. I know Lees who are girls. Uh, I think you might see that begin to uh, fall off a little bit. But anyway, Dixie's all, Dixie now. Dixie Cups, this is on the list. It's on the list. We'll uh, hit a break here. Come back, I want to talk to you about prayer in public schools now you can't even bow your head silently take a knee anything that could be construed as prayer the ninth circuit court of appeals has uh has a thing to say about it and uh, let me tell you it's not not good they are not pro religious freedom they seem to believe very strongly in statism and atheism always and at all times Buck Saxton back with you now team welcome to uh, the America where progressives win you have a court ruling. This is the Ninth Circuit. Everyone calls it now the Ninth Circuit because of their insane rulings on President Trump's uh, temporary security and vetting enhancement restriction on travel, as I call it, also known as the travel ban. Um, but you have that same Ninth Circuit now. Well, here's a reporting from Fox News. A Washington state high school football coach was punished for taking a knee at the 50-yard line for a post-game prayer, which violated the U.S. Constitution according to the U.S. Ninth Circuit of Appeals. A three-judge panel ruled the Bremerton School District was justified in suspending Coach Kennedy after he took a knee and prayed silently at midfield after football games. Uh, when This is a quote from the Ninth Circuit. When Kennedy kneeled and prayed on the 50-yard line immediately after games, while in view of students and parents, he spoke as a public employee, not as a private citizen, and his speech was constitutionally, therefore, unprotected. Uh, okay, so he was ordered... Hold on. Kennedy, who, was served as an, who served as, as an assistant coach, was ordered to refrain from bowing his head taking a knee or doing anything that could be perceived as praying on public school property. Uh, so he would take a knee, just so you know, he would take a knee, this coach, Coach Kennedy, bow his head, thank God for a good game. And this was just in a matter of seconds and then go about his business. And they said, no, you can't do that. This idea that, first of all, uh, 
somebody is now responsible for triggering the anti-religious bigotry of somebody else, right? I'm triggered. Oh, gosh, somebody believes in God somewhere. What am I going to do? This notion that you now have to be on guard for committing the offense of having somebody else think you are praying. Remember, how do you prove this? Because it's not just even the public pronouncements of a prayer that are at issue here. It's taking a knee. It's bowing his head. Anything that, quote, could be perceived as praying on public school property. Anything that could be perceived as praying. This is appalling. Uh, And it should be noted that now we live in a society where, you know, if you take a knee because you want to uh, make some sort of statement during the Pledge of Allegiance because you want to uh, denigrate America or you, you want to make a point about uh, racism and bigotry in America, so so you disrespect our flag and those who have fought under and for that flag now for generations, for centuries. Uh, that is entitled to the ACLU First Amendment uh, treatment across the board. But if you take a knee because you want to pray for, if you want to pray for a minute, now that's a problem. I, I just wonder at what point we wake up from this and we start to realize that there is a statist hostility that has overtaken for quite a long time now the federal government and and the bureaucracy uh, towards now people would say buck what about you know what about president bush and all these different republicans no no i mean the permanent bureaucracy um, these are people who have been raised and trained and Uh, brainwashed into the echo chamber thinking of anything having to do with religion that is anywhere near the public sphere is a problem. And it's hard for people, I think, who are uh, who are believing Christians. So not just not nominally. I go to you know, I go to church on uh, Christmas because I like the carols. And other than that, I have no interest in any of this Christian stuff. And I mean, people who actually believe, who care about the teachings of of Jesus and who are familiar with and, and have an active engagement with their religion, and their belief in God. Uh, those who are Christian see that there is and have for a long time seen that there is this double standard about how the government treats uh, not just religious speech, but also Christian speech versus what is allowed and acceptable when you're talking about the way that uh, people of the Islamic faith are treated by government and all of the sensitivities that we will go through. Oh, you know, it, it should be noted that, you know, in Guantanamo Bay for terrorists that we had in captivity, we were handing them books where we would have our guys, our soldiers wearing gloves because we didn't want to uh, we didn't want to offend the sensibilities of the Muslim prisoners. Uh, there's all these issues now about whether Nidal Hassan was able to have a beard. And you know, they, the government will, in general, bend over backwards for Muslim sensibilities. And the media will make all kinds of excuses for why. Let's just set this up, right? Hijab anywhere, even if it's a full face covering and you're working at an Abercrombie and Fitch, and or it's a full head covering at an Abercrombie and Fitch that violates their dress code. And you got the media on your side and the ACLU saying, hey, this is anti-Islamic bigotry. So you can be at a private employer where they have a, just a uniform dress code and you can violate it if you're a Muslim. 
But if you want to be a public school teacher or a public school coach and just take a knee and say a quick prayer to yourself, you can lose your job. You can be fired. So I, I just wonder where the outer limits of this are, because this is important. Whenever you're talking about what the progressives are up to these days, you've got to go to the extremes because they're only the extremes right now. It's where they're heading next. They are uh, unmoored by any principles. They are untethered to rationality. They'll find some way in time to explain why the next step, as crazy as it may sound now, the next step must, in fact, be taken, whatever that, whatever that may be. So I, I just look at this and, and have such a, uh, a sense of, of frustration. Now, the Ninth Circuit is famous for being overturned. This is the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. We will see where this goes. But if this is allowed to stand, then what's next is, you know, as somebody who's uh, a, a teacher can't wear a cross to school. I mean, they're just, we're going to go with a full, all-out secularization of not just the public schools, because that's already happened. They've already accomplished that. But anybody who sets foot in a public school, uh, it will become an atheist indoctrination center without even private expressions of open religious belief. Um, and this is this is going to lead to all. I mean, trust me, the, the fights on this are coming and it'll be interesting because at least we have a president now. I mean, President Obama, as much as he spoke about being a man of faith, I've always I've always believed he was an atheist. People would say he's a Muslim. That's not that's not true. And. Uh, but I do believe he was an atheist uh, and espoused Catholic or not Catholic, sorry, Christian positions because that was politically what was necessary. But with Trump, I don't really care what he believes because he's going to support, I think, the Christian position here. Welcome back, team. I know we're getting ready here to uh, head off for the weekend or if you're listening perhaps on a uh, delay or on podcast, then, then it is the weekend for you. Everybody's working for the weekend. Uh, I'm not going to sing anymore on the show, but I thought, you know, spice it up, Buck. It's a Friday. So here we are. Uh, I, I put in my application to Social Tees, uh, which is the name of the group here in New York, that takes it's no kill shelter for dogs that finds them forever homes. So uh, Miss Molly and I were sitting on the couch and it was funny. We we were trying to go through which dogs because you can request the dog that you would want to foster. And I mean, there were some adorable, adorable little dudes in there. There was one named Lulu, one named Mac, one named Sandro. You know, I'm just they were they were great, uh, really cute, mangy looking little pups. And I, I was all excited about it. And I said, OK, well, Molly, we need to give names of a few of them in as possible foster options for us. And I said I would take them uh, upwards of six weeks if they need me to. And I, I said, OK, well, I've, here's my list. And now you can come up with the list and then we'll see which ones that we agree on. And and, and of course, they're dogs, right? I would take any of them. But if you're going to if they're going to ask you to pick, I figured this would be kind of fun. And Molly just couldn't do it. She just wouldn't. She's like, I want all of them. And I said, come on, there's got to be a few. She goes, this one's so cute. This one's so cute. This one. So, you know, she wasn't much help in that regard because she loved all of them equally. She would not choose among the uh, abandoned dogs in the shelter that we were going to take in. Um, but I'll let you know how that goes uh, going forward. And the only thing I did say was that there's a 60-pound weight limit in my building for dogs. 
and I saw, I can't remember where it was, Ye- yesterday there was a news story that went out on, on Twitter uh, about whether pit bulls are too dangerous to own. Some news site put that out there. It wasn't a big site. I forget which one it was. But I remember writing about this years ago at The Blaze because there are these uh, efforts that some municipalities, some buildings, some uh, you know towns or condo associations undertake to, to ban. Usually it's pit bulls. There are a few other dogs that sometimes fall into that category of getting banned. People get scared by Dobermans, uh, even though I've known some Dobermans that were really sweet. They can look scary, though, and I think that's enough for some people. German Shepherds, I know a lot of you listening probably have German Shepherds. They scare people, too, so sometimes they're banned. But the number one dog to get... Oh, and Chow Chows. Chow Chows are, are biters, from what I understand. I've never known a Chow Chow, but if you read up on them... and Because they look like these fluffy... They look kind of like a giant Pekingese or something. I mean, they're these big fluffy dogs, but they're they're biters for whatever reason. And then there are some other rarer breeds that you'll see that will get banned from places based on, on the breed. Uh, there's a, a Japanese fighting dog i can't even remember what it's called and i know people will say you can't have this kind of dog and uh with and they look similar mostly to to pits some of them look a little bit like uh sort of a husky pit mix but i i think it's uh oh and and i'm always reminded also of for me the most formidable dog uh, that i've ever seen and i've never seen one in person i think i saw one in dc on the street once but i wasn't sure is called a preza canario which if you've never, if you're a dog person, if you've never uh, looked at a Preza Canario before, they're pretty amazing. It's really, it looks like a cross. They look like a cross between a, a Mastiff and a Pitbull. And it's one of these fascinating little backstories that I came across because I like to just do my own little deep dives of history research or etymology research into things. So the Preza Canario is uh, and that is also I should note a dog breed that is banned in some places by name. Uh, the Preza Canario comes from the Canary Islands. I had always thought that the Canary Islands were named for the birds, the Canaries, but in fact, it is from Roman times, from ancient Roman times, that the uh, Canary Islands were called the uh, Insulares Canarii island of the canines and it's because they had they were known for having these very large very powerful dogs and so it's from the dogs that you had the canary islands and then later on um based and that was based on the latin then later on you had the birds that were the colorful birds that came from that island or that were renowned from that island became known as canaries so uh, that, that was something that i came across i always thought was interesting but on, on pit bulls, you know, Molly's family dog is half pit bull. And so she is, she loves, and it is a sweet dog. I've spent time with the dog. She is so pro pit bull. And she really, I think if she had her way, she would have us, if we got a full time, if we decided to go all in and adopt, not just foster, I think she would want to get a pit bull or a pit bull mix. And I am okay with the idea insofar as I know pits can be great uh, great companions and great dogs and they get a bad rap a lot of the time but in New York in a lot of places here in Manhattan they actually ban you from owning them uh, which now has spurred on many conversations and this is what made me think of it 
even in this piece yesterday I saw, are pit bulls too dangerous to own? Look, they're, they're, to be fair, I think it's not so much a temperament issue as it's just a, uh, a jaw power issue. Or if your pet uh, Pekingese gets upset, you know, if you're a, a Papillon or if your King Charles Spaniel has a bad day, you know, maybe maybe you have a, a finger that's bleeding or, you know, you have an ankle that gets a little chewed up. If a if a pit goes bad, you have a life threatening situation on you, even if it's a, a misunderstanding or, you know, a person enters your home, the pit doesn't know. I mean, it's just the margin for error is smaller. But I know people are fierce on this issue. They love their pities and they do not like it when anybody says anything bad about them. I will say that my I have a friend here in New York City one of my oldest friends, actually, who is a dog trainer, really a true dog whisperer. I mean, she works with problem animals. She's told me hilarious stories about a little Maltese that, for whatever reason, was biting everybody who wasn't the owner. And she had to work with this little Maltese, which is a tiny little white, like, no, 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 like little white frou-frou dog. Uh, and she said that it was, you know, you'd you'd walk in and people would assume, oh, it's a little Maltese. And they'd go to pet it and, and it would run over and grab them and, you know, hook onto their ankle or their shoe or their, you know, and wouldn't let go. It was crazy aggressive. She trains dogs. She deals with problem dogs and, and has told me that uh, under the right circumstances, pits can be great family pets. So I, it's it's a really interesting debate that I see among people because you've got dog lovers on both sides of it. But some people are really anti-pit. And other people are so pro pit, and it's. I think that's the. You know, you don't get the same thing with German shepherds. I feel like everyone. You, you hear people say, "Yeah, it's a big, powerful dog," um, but everyone agrees that a German shepherd that's well raised and well treated isn't a problem. People think that pits are just. They're almost like weaponized canines. You know, they're just inherently dangerous, and and they do get banned from places. I think some cities have even banned them from ownership, and other places want to regulate it almost like a gun, where you'd have to get permission and go through training courses and meanwhile i mean i know the, the biggest problem i have when i visit molly's parents is her pit bull tries to actually physically hug me and won't stop licking my face so that's my experience with the only pit bull in my life right but uh that'll be an interesting discussion with molly because she thinks that i want dogs that mirror my preferred lifestyle so chubby dogs that are slow moving and want people to scratch their bellies and feed them uh, things that are bacon flavored because that's kind of the life that I aspire to. Um, and, and this is a discussion that I think will, will be ongoing, but I, I will update you, uh, as, as I find out now, it'll be, I'll be probably quiet on the dog front for a few days, but as I find out what the situation is with, uh, the fostering, uh, I'm hoping to have some great stories for you. And I think it'll be a really fun experience. And I miss having a dog in the house. Although I am going to see Tallulah this weekend. I'm visiting my parents this weekend and they're white. They're beautiful white French bulldog, Tallulah, who is very, uh, very beautiful, but she knows it. So it makes her uh, difficult, you know. You want to go pet her, and she's like, no, I'm not in the mood to be pet. And you go, uh, hey, Tallulah, do you want a treat? She goes, oh, you give me treats when I want a treat. I don't just come over. When you say it is treat time, I tell you when it is uh, time for the treat. You know, she's very, very uppity. I don't know. She's a French bulldog. She's very French. I don't know what else to say. Um, look, I'll have a great weekend. Uh, we're going to have, as always, so much to talk about next week. Um, best part of my day every day during the week is going to hang out with you. Please do share the show with a friend. Tell them about it. They can listen on the iHeart app. You know about the iTunes download of the podcast. 
And of course, BuckSaxon.com, your one-stop shop for all things Freedom Hut. So um, you're under orders to have a great, relaxing, and uh, fun-filled weekend if you can. And until Monday, my friends, Shields High.